Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. Last night, um, <clears throat> Guy talked about fear and how to work with it <clears throat> and how it can even become fearlessness. <clears throat> Tonight, I thought I'd talk about trust as what that naturally leads to, working with fear, opening up to the places that scare us, uh, and the importance of trust uh, as we're doing this challenging, profound, amazing work. As I was thinking about it a moment ago before I got in here and just seeing the difference between those two words, and perhaps maybe just as you, as you hear, oh, we're going to talk about trust. Just uh, notice how that lands for you. <clears throat> for me, it's such a beautiful word. I was talking with Guy and Jaya at, uh, at tea time. It's such a um, moving, uh, inspiring word. <clears throat> if I would have said, well, we're going to talk about terror tonight. It might have been, had a, landed in a different way. <clears throat> Trust. And uh, it kept on coming up in, uh, in interviews, <clears throat> so it seemed like a natural progression. <clears throat> and I want to talk in different levels. Trust in the process and in the Dharma and trust in our own capacity to do this work. Now, given that we're living in a world where, as uh, Joseph Goldstein uh, so beautifully put it, one of his main contributions to contemporary Dharma, where anything can happen at any time, that is the reality. Anything can happen at any time. Given, in, given that's the underlying reality, how can we have trust? How can we, we open to the winds of change? Whereas uh, it's been said that horses can, uh, ho- um, uh, fortunes can change uh, quicker than the swish of a horse's tail. So how can we find trust in this? And it's so um, essential that we do. Otherwise, we are living in fear about what's going to come next. The word uh, that is sometimes translated as trust um, is uh, sadha in, in Pali, S-A-D-D-H-A. Often it's translated as faith, sometimes as confidence, conviction. And the the literal translation is to put one's heart upon. There's a a heartfelt placement of of our, um, or is a placement of our heart on a heartfelt giving over to the the natural unfolding of life. And if you're familiar with the list of the five spiritual faculties, it's the the first of the five faculties, sadha, trust, or faith, leading to effort to do this practice, the effort to be mindful leading to more moments of mindfulness, mindfulness collecting, a momentum building, and there being um, 
resultant concentration and uh, a concentrated presence that can see through our normal superficial level of reality can lead to wisdom. But it starts with putting our heart upon and having some sense that there's a, a, a value to this. <clears throat> the word faith can trip up um, ideas of religion for some. I've sometimes talked about faith and get these notes. You know, I can't relate to the word faith at all. Um, so whatever word works for you, and I'll, I'll just be using uh, trust in this, but it's not the, the sense that everything is going to work out fine. There's no way, no way that we can go under that delusion and think we're going to um, just feel at ease for too long. <clears throat> but rather that it's all workable. It's all able to be a support for us waking up and for uh, a, a, a sense of confidence that we can meet the moment when it comes. We can meet the moment and even more than just meeting it, we can learn from it and learn to wake up no matter what is um, is presenting itself in our reality. There's a, a wonderful uh, writer on Buddhism, Christmas Humphreys. I remember reading this line that I loved. He says, the one miracle that this path has to offer is a change of heart. It's so simple. I mean, there's other miracles that it offers, like true liberation and freedom from greed, hatred, and delusion. But that's good enough to start, a change of heart, how we relate to our experience, how we meet this moment. And this quality of sadha, of trust or faith, is the antidote to the doubting mind, just in case it has visited you from time to time. You know, doubting, as Andrea shared in her uh, talk on the hindrances, is something that has, has visited human beings since they've been aware. There's doubt. Will it work out? Will I be able to do it? And it comes to the, the wisest beings. There is Jesus on the cross saying, uh, Lord, why hast thou forsaken me? Just before he completely surrenders. <clears throat> or Buddha, just before he's enlightened. It's the last thing that Mara throws at him after visions of, of um, sensual desire or attacks with arrows. What makes you think you can do this? You have the right to do this. And just, just before the Buddha touches the earth, as the earth is witness for all the, the work that I've done over the countless lifetimes. So if you find that you've been visited by doubt, you, you've got some company here. <clears throat> and there's a few different levels of, of this trust or faith. And I'll speak about this for a little while before going into the other, uh, the other dimension of, of trust. Um, it's wonderful that we can be inspired by others, by what's called bright faith where we hear something or read something or um, see a friend who's, who's changed 
in front of our eyes and we, we see over time, wow, there's something here. There's something in this possibility that turns us towards the Dharma and towards putting our time in. Uh, I remember the, the first time I read Be Here Now, a book that changed my life and many people's lives in my generation. It was, I was really lost and then I read this magical book and said, wow, I'm not alone. Gee, this is really possible. And something that mm, just leaped right out of the pages into my heart and said, Yes, I'm going for this. And then when I first heard the Dharma, I first heard Joseph Goldstein and that first class where uh, at Naropa, in uh, the first year at Naropa, where everything he said made such sense and he was saying it's possible to not be run by my neurotic thoughts. And I believed him. I had never entertained that possibility before, but he said it was, and there was something in the way he said it that said, yeah, I'm going for it. And when I first uh, got into the the teachings and started reading the teachings and hearing the teachings and uh, something that uh, that the Buddha said really struck me, very simple statement, if it were not possible to free the mind of greed, hatred, and delusion, I would not tell you to do so. But it is possible, and this is why I teach. Isn't that fantastic? If it were not possible, I would not tell you to do this stuff. Yeah. But it is possible, and here's the teaching. So you might recall for you when that bright faith was ignited, that somehow got you here. Maybe it was years ago, maybe it was more recent, but something that lit your heart up and said, yes, it's fantastic. Do you remember? Just remember. I'll be quiet for a moment. Just remember, just to celebrate that moment where you heard. And you felt it. Bright faith, inspiration, and also the the faith that can come from reflecting on all the thousands and thousands of people who've done this practice, walked this path, and have discovered the fruits of it. Hmm. So that gets you here. And then you have to see for yourself, like it says in the chants, ehi pasiko, ehi pasiko. The Dharma is open-handed for us to see for ourselves. Ehi pasiko, come and see for yourself. And then when you see for yourself, what the teachings are, so it's not just a, an idea, a thought, uh, a concept in a book that sounds good, that makes sense, and it's good to have some reflection saying, yeah, that makes sense. But when you see for yourself, then that bright, bright faith becomes verified faith. The, the, one of the first times I, I had this experience for myself where I wasn't just kind of spouting a line was uh, was on my second retreat <clears throat> some of you have heard this story and i i was going through a lot of doubt about my practice about what this was all about i couldn't sit i i didn't i couldn't walk everybody around me was a phony the teachers were didn't know what they were talking about it was all one big sham that's kind of where my mind went down in that descent into the hell realms and uh i i couldn't sit i couldn't walk finally i just uh went to my little cubicle in this meditation center up in uh up in washington and uh there on the 
on my um, uh, bureau was a picture of Neem Karoli Baba from Be Here Now, kind of smiling back at me saying, I'm getting pretty freaked out, aren't we? Huh? <laughs> and in, in a moment, the, the whole spell just broke. Oh my goodness, you know, I've, this is just doubt. I've just been overwhelmed with doubt. And there he was with a twinkle in his eye, you know, saying, lighten up, it's okay. And when the spell was broken, I got very excited. I just was, that's what this doubt stuff that they're talking about is. And I got tremendously exhilarated. And I was sure that I had conquered doubt. (laughs) And I couldn't wait for my interview to tell (laughs) Joseph... I conquered doubt. You, know, you can probably hear the setup in that. Unfortunately, the interview was um, was quite some. Was like you know the next day, <laughs> which is an eternity, as you know, in Dharma practice. And from that exhilaration and yes, confidence, I crashed. And then I got confused, and then I lost it, and then I got a little bit of coming back, and then I I was up and down like a yo-yo. And by the time I got into the interview, instead of saying, I conquered doubt, Joseph started out, so what's happening? And I said, in utter exasperation and innocence, it's always changing. <laughs> he said, that's it. And I said, oh yeah, you keep on saying that, don't you? I get it. Oh, it really is always changing. Nobody could take that away from me once I saw it for myself. That's what they're talking about. And from that, seeing, oh, Holding on to changing experience is crazy. Oh, that's what Duke is about. And then, as probably a number of you have seen, that this mind-body process we call ourselves is also continually fluid and in motion with no static place to whom life is happening. So those are the the three gifts of practice, seeing impermanence, seeing the unsatisfactory nature of holding on to grasping at changing experience and the selfless nature of this process. And when it becomes strong enough, that verified faith becomes unshakable faith where you absolutely know for yourself no one can take that away from you let me ask just to reflect for a moment before I go on what have you seen in your own practice that you know to be absolutely true have you had any sense of things changing I hope so by now, you know. If you haven't, hello. Uh, Have you seen for yourself that everything is constantly changing? Have you seen for yourself what happens every time you try to hold on? Uh, We have to go through it, maybe a few thousand, ten thousand, hundred thousand, million times before it kind of sinks in more and more and goes from the head to the whole being so it becomes an embodied experience and not just a good idea, a noble thought. But when it becomes embodied, when you know in your very bones and cells those truths, no one can take them away. Now, it takes courage 
to keep going into new territory. A guy was talking about fear last night, and it probably um, made you realize just how challenging this process can be when you're being called to face your fears, face your deepest fears and your demons. But that's what we're being asked to do. Not that that's the only thing, but if you're opening up your mind and your consciousness to see the whole show, what you're going to see, obviously, are all the places that we usually hide and distract ourselves. So there's no no way around it. It's not that it's a bad thing. That is part of the process. That's the hero's journey as you know, the archetype of, of Joseph Campbell talks about. The hero's journey. The hero goes, or the heroine goes on a quest and encounters hardship and faces the, 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 the greatest fears and, and demons and then comes out the other side. That's how you see all the things underneath that can meet that fear, those fears. You feel the, the courage and the um, determination and the inner strength and the capacities to open up to those fears. So this idea of faith, of getting your, having your faith verified or deepening your trust in the process requires you to go into those scary places. It takes courage, it takes patience, You can't put a timetable on this stuff. You can't say, my goodness, I'm, I'm really, I'm halfway through the retreat and I still get caught in hindrances. You know, <laughs> you know there's that line, uh, the road to, the, the path to enlightenment, the road to enlightenment is, um, is a long one. Pack a lunch. You know? <laughs> this is going to take a long time, but... If each time you can see what you're encountering and working with is deepening your capacities and your confidence in your, your ability to meet them and wake up and grow, then there's nothing wasted. And there can be this Deep trust in the unfolding. Somebody asked the, the Dalai Lama, what's, what's the big difference between um, Eastern and, and Western practitioners? And uh, he said, patience. Because we're so used to having you know, the quick fix, as it's sometimes called McDharma, you know. <laughs> and this is an ongoing process. And he said, if you have to look at your practice, if you, if you are uh, insistent on judging your practice, better look over five or ten year periods rather than what happened last week or last month. And if you look back, you can probably see, if you've been practicing this for, for years, you can probably see some movement in the right direction. And that is a great source of trust. Oh yeah, something is happening. Even if I don't think it is, there's some kind of development and movement. And it's not so much that you're trusting in yourself, I'm doing it, but it's trusting in the process that you just show up with a very sincere heart and do your part, and the Dharma keeps on carrying you. As I said in that earlier talk on, uh, on sincerity, 
That's the key ingredient. Has anything happened to you since you've started doing your Dharma practice? Probably. And it's, it's different than um, hoping that things will work out. As I said, there's a, a line that I, I love from uh, Seneca, the Roman philosopher. He says, you cease to be afraid when you cease to hope because hope is accompanied by fear. So this is not, oh goodness, I hope things will work out, but more a a deeper sense that you will be able to meet the moment. It's more not trusting in yourself, but trusting in the awareness. And when you look back at it, all the times that you had some doubt about whether you'd be able to make it through whatever it was that was coming down the pike. When you look, it's so interesting how we can go through countless challenges in our life and miss out on the fact that we've made it through each of them. And this next one, who knows? But if you look back, you see that whatever the anticipation was, when it got to needing to show up, if the mind wasn't tight, when there was presence, that the awareness could meet the moment. That's very, very powerful. You don't have to trust in yourself. You can just trust in the awareness. And you can have refuge in the present moment. This moment is quite workable. It's just that when you start toppling forward to the next one, as was spoken about fear, fear is always about the future. But if you can meet this moment with presence, then when that moment that you've been anxious about comes, you can do the same. So every moment you're conditioning the ability to show up with presence. Mm. So then you you might ask, this is another level of this trust, How do I know what the best strategy is to do in any moment? I mean, we're making choices all the time. And as you heard from the instructions this morning, there's lots of different ways to do this practice. Well, should I do uh, choiceless awareness? Uh, Should I do mental noting? Uh, Should I do some uh, concentration? Uh, should I just relax in, uh, in, in spaciousness? Should I rev up the engine? What should I do each time? It can get very confusing. So I wanted to talk about this other level of trust, besides just trusting in, in the process and trusting that the awareness will meet those moments to come, um, how to get in touch with the trust that senses what to do right now. <clears throat> How do we listen? Who do we listen to? You know, I, on, on one earlier talk, I was sharing all, all the different ways to practice heroic effort, you know, just turn up the jets, another simple and easy, just relax. You know, how, how do you know what you need? Well, First to understand there's no one right answer and not one cookie cutter recipe that fits all. As you've seen, there's many different styles of practice, many different ways of practice, many different ways of working with challenges when they come up. One discourse that I thought I'd share with you. If you're not familiar with it, uh, I think you'll 
you'll find it interesting. If you are, just a reminder, uh, is uh, Majima Nikaya number 20, uh, the Vitaka Santana Sutta, the uh, discourse on dealing with distracting thoughts. And in this discourse, the Buddha gives five different approaches to working with distracting thoughts. First, case where unskillful thoughts filled with desire, aversion, or delusion arises when one is referring, when one is attending to a particular object, one should then attend, this is, if mindfulness isn't strong enough, I would suggest this. The first approach, of course, is mindfulness and noticing, oh, thinking, this is just thought. But sometimes the mindfulness isn't strong enough. So these are other options. One should attend to another theme apart from that one, connected with what is skillful. While attending to the other theme, apart from that one, then those unskillful thoughts with desire, aversion, or delusion are abandoned and subside. With their abandoning, the mind becomes steadied, settles, unifies, and concentrates. And this is the analogy. Just as a skilled carpenter or his apprentice would use a small peg to knock out, drive out, and pull out a large one, in the same way, one can attend to another theme and connected with what is skillful. And with that, the mind gets settled. So that is, for instance, if you are feeling um, a lot of anger and it's hard to be mindful of the anger in a balanced way, what would a skillful thought in place of that one be? Anyone want to guess? Metta, yeah. So you just say, oh, I could use a little metta right now as an antidote. And there's all the hindrances have antidotes. So you can just do, have its opposite to balance out. But then he says, that might not work. So he says, if those thoughts still arise while attending to another theme that's skillful, then one should scrutinize the drawbacks of these thoughts like this. Truly, these thoughts of mine are unskillful and result in stress. And as one is scrutinizing the drawbacks of those thoughts, they are abandoned and subside. And this is the analogy. Just as a a young Woman or man fond of adornment would be horrified, humiliated, and disgusted if the carcass of a snake or a dog or a human being were hung from their neck. In the same way, one doesn't go there. That's the basic principle. Don't go there. You ever have that thought? Wait a second. I know where this is leading. This is going to be just going down one road that is not going to be so good. Don't go there, okay? But that might not work, and so there's a third strategy. If those thoughts still arise while scrutinizing the drawbacks of them, then one should pay no mind and pay no attention to those thoughts as one is paying no mind or attention to them, those thoughts are abandoned and subside, and the mind settles down. Here's the analogy. Just as a person with good eyes, not wanting to see forms that had come into range, would close their eyes or look away, in the same way, those unskillful thoughts that still arise, one should pay no mind and no attention to them, and the mind settles down and subsides. What does that mean? This is sometimes called forgetfulness and inattention. Where if you're thinking that the idea is to be with what's most predominant all the time, 
this is not always skillful. If you've got a pain that you're attending to and it's a continuous pain, after a while your mind can get very tired. Withered is the term that's used in in the, the teachings. Or if you're looking at a particular emotion, sadness or loneliness or fear or whatever, after a while it's hard to stay balanced around it. You can turn elsewhere. This is very skillful. You might open up to sounds or you might notice some part in your body that's not hurting or you might come right back to the breath. This is different from the first one. The first one is a kind of substitution for the unwholesome with a wholesome. This is substituting a wholesome thought, a wholesome reflection like like metta for anger or uh, faith for doubt or like that. This is just turning your attention to somewhere else in your field and seeing, oh, I can pay attention to this. This is, this is a, a very skillful strategy, but it might not work. So he has a fourth. If those thoughts, those unskillful skillful thoughts still arise while one is paying no mind and attention to them, then one should attend to relaxing of thought fabrication with regard to those thoughts. Like this. Just as the thought, oh, I'll just finish that. And, and as one is relaxing the thought fabrication, those thoughts are abandoned and subside. And the mind settles and unifies. Just as the thought would occur to someone walking quickly, why am I walking quickly? Why don't I walk slowly? So he walks slowly. And then the thought occurs, why am I walking slowly? Why don't I stand? And so she stands. Then the thought occurs, why am I standing? Why don't I sit down? So they sit down. And then the thought occurs, why am I sitting? Why don't I lie down? So they lie down. Sounded good, doesn't it? In the same way, in this way, giving up the grosser posture, taking up the more refined one, in the same way, one should attend to the relaxing of thought fabrication with regard to those thoughts. And the mind becomes steadied, unified, and concentrated. So what does that mean? It can mean uh, a couple of different things. One, the more obvious one, if you're getting wound up, cool out, lighten up, just relax. Having a cup of tea can be the most skillful thing that you do in that situation. Or just lying down or taking a break, you know, just to get some space. I mentioned it in a former talk, my mindful walk, you know, when I stop trying so hard. Can also mean just seeing, oh, well, these thoughts, what's the, what's the root of the thoughts? Oh, these thoughts are just fear or they're just grasping or they're just aversion and you can see the source of the thoughts it's another interpretation of them the root of the thoughts but this is a a skillful strategy where you're just kind of getting more and more space so you can see things a bit more clearly Mm, because the more you try to figure out when you're in that mode, the more unlikely that you're going to be coming up with a skillful response. This is uh, from uh, Danny Goleman, Emotional Intelligence. The problem with worry. New solutions and fresh ways of seeing a problem do not typically come from worrying, especially chronic worry. Instead of coming up with solutions to these potential problems, worriers typically simply ruminate on the danger itself, immersing themselves in a low-key way in the dread associated with it while staying in the same rut of thought. And the same is true whatever storm you're caught in, the more you try to figure your way out of it 
from that place of a contracted mind, the less likely you are to come up with a skillful response. But you get a little bit of space, chill out a little bit, and often that response, the wisdom can shine through when there's enough space in the mind. But even that one might not work. And then this is the fifth in this discourse. If those unskillful thoughts still arise while attending to the relaxation of thought fabrication regarding to them, then one should, and I say this with uh, caution, one should beat down, constrain, and crush the mind with mind. As with teeth clenched and tongue pressed against the roof, roof of the mouth, one is beating down, constraining, and crushing the mind with awareness, these the unskillful thoughts ab- ab- are abandoned and subside. Mm-hmm. Just as a strong man seizing a weaker man by the head or throat or shoulders would beat them down, etc., etc., the mind subsides. So I say this with a bit of caution because um, you can't do it with aversion. You can't do this with, uh, with hatred for where your mind is going. But I take this to be just that tough love that a parent would have with a child who might be running out into the street and grabbing and saying, no, or as the hand is getting close to the stove, no, but done with a lot of love. And probably you've had the experience where sometime you just say to yourself, enough. You gotta say it with love. You gotta say it with compassion. That, not that idiot compassion as was spoken of the other night, but fierce compassion that says no. Okay. So, here are all of these different strategies that the Buddha gives for working with thought. So how do you know is the right one? What's the, what's the teaching in that? The teaching is there's no one right way. There's lots of different ways. And if you went to an interview perhaps for a particular situation that you had and described it and had the chance to go to four different interview uh, teachers, um, you might get a few different responses. And they could all be really skillful responses. So how do you know who to trust? Who do you trust? There's an old TV show, Who Do You Trust? Who do you think? This is where you go inside and trust in the awareness. Not the awareness or not the part of the mind that's trying to figure out and getting a handle on it. What's the right thing to do? What if I blow it? I don't know. But rather, learning to listen really deeply inside. Learning to hear where that voice is coming from. It's not, oh yes, I'm figuring it out. All that does is increase your identification with the wisdom and thinking, oh, it's up to me to figure it out each time. As uh, Ajahn Chah would say, listen to the one who knows, which is not even you, but something deeper than you coming through you. In letting go of the knowing and just listening very um, softly, 
skillfully, deeply. All you can go by is um, what is presenting itself as the wisest possible response in this moment. But if you really listen, that voice does not have judgment, does not have fear, does not have a finger wag saying, you better get it together or you're going to blow it. That voice has great compassion, great kindness, clarity. And you can feel it. You can feel it in your body. You can hear it in your mind. Just, in fact, let me just ask, how do you know when you've got lots of different voices coming through saying, do this, do that, how do you know that ring of truth? Any cues that you find helpful? How does it feel? I'm just asking. Happy. Feels happy? Okay. There's no one right answer. Yes. It feels right, and what was it? Uh, an intuitive thing that says this is the right answer. It's it's timely. It just feels right. That's what I'm looking for. How do you know that it feels right? What's it? You feel settled. You feel settled in the body. Ah, very different from the agitated. What's the right thing to do? You just feel settled. Yeah. Anything else? There's a sense of peace, yes. Anything else? Clarity. Huh? Clarity. clarity. There's a clarity, yes. Lots of different ways and lots of different, everyone might experience it in their own way, but getting to know that ring of truth, you can feel it in your body, it's, it stops contracting and there's a kind of openness that comes or relaxation. It just feels right. Or you can hear it in the mind. You ever listen to the different tones of the voices? Some that come in, don't blow it, kid. And some that come in, this is what's needed right now. You know, it's one of the, my main my main questions in my, own, in my own practice, what do I need right now to support my practice? And it might have look very different at different times. It's not that it's any one right answer, but just listening, what do I need? And is this coming out of supporting my practice or out of fear? <clears throat> so listening to that, learning to listen, getting out of the way, being very present for its energy as it, uh, as it presents itself, just feeling the energy. You know, there's, um, maybe you're familiar with in, in the Tibetan uh, uh, tradition, there's the, the tankas with Milarepa, and you can always tell it's Milarepa. He has his hand to his ear, and he's listening to the, the 100,000 Dharma songs. And that I think of as, uh, as really what we're learning to do here in our practice, just really learning to listen to the Dharma. Not figure it out, but listen to it. Quiet down enough so we can hear it. It's what we're doing in every moment we're learning to listen to the truth in this moment. Ah, this moment, there's the breath. This moment, there's the awareness that knows. This moment, there's loving kindness. This moment, there's agitation. And in that learning to listen to the truth in each moment, we get better and better at learning to listen to the truth deep inside. 
And that means letting go of having the right answer and not being afraid to, um, to hear the truth. I was at, at uh, one point in my life, I was at a, a crossroads in my life and I didn't know what to do and I was afraid of blowing it. I had been teaching school for many years uh, in New York and uh, I felt that that was kind of, it was time to change, been doing it for about 10 years uh, but I didn't want to let go of my salary, which was $17,000 at the time. It was big money for me. And what was I going to do if I let go of that? But there was the meditation center. IMS w- had just opened, and I'd, I'd sat, sat there. Maybe I'll go work there and just be held in the Dharma. Or maybe I'll, uh, I, I'd wanted to go to Asia and have my Asian experience. Maybe I'll do that, you know. Or I had visited California and it looked pretty good out here. I thought, maybe I'll move out to California. And I was at this crossroads and I didn't know what to do. And I was really driving myself crazy, trying to figure out the right answer and afraid of blowing it. So uh, I finally, um, in the summer I was out in Colorado and I decided to uh, go to somebody who had helped me a number of times great wisdom. His name was Reverend Miller. He was a psychic in Denver. Five dollars a reading. (laughs) He wasn't in it for the money. But he was really wise. And when I went to him, I said, uh, I presented him all these these four different options. And I said, what should I do? I I don't want to make a mistake. And uh, it's really, this is, this is important. And he said, um, well, I won't tell you what to do. I said, oh, God. He said, but I will tell you one thing. I said, yeah? He said, it doesn't matter. And I said, what do you mean it doesn't matter? That's my life you're talking about. <laughs> and he believed in spirit guides. Uh, that was how he thought of things. He said, you know, if you're frozen in fear, your guides can't help you. You're paralyzed and you're just stuck there. But if you listen to what feels right in this moment, as you start putting yourself in motion, then you'll see, as you take it one step, you'll see, oh yeah, this feels right. Or maybe you'll take a few steps and say, oh no, that wasn't the right way. We'll go for another option. Or maybe you'll start in one direction and something opens up that you never could have imagined before. So he said, any way you go, it doesn't matter. As long as you keep on listening to the truth and put yourself in motion, have the courage to take the next step, your guides will support you. Life will support you. And in the same way, in our practice, if we just keep showing up and we're patient with the process, if we have the courage to show up and we're patient with the process and we learn to really listen, then nothing is wasted. There's no one moment that's wasted. As long as you're keeping on showing up and listening, you're learning. So there's nothing wasted if you're learning and every moment that you're present can be a moment that you are learning. How you open up to your challenges, instead of seeing them as problems, they can be new areas, new fields of exploration. Oh, I get caught here. Let's see how I get caught. I was speaking with somebody today in, uh, in an interview who, who said that each time, each evening, or that there's some uh, a challenge where they see this wanting mind looking for something. And uh, we talked about instead of getting frust- frustrated by it, oh, your evening practice can be a tremendously rich area. Oh, this is where you get to see how the wanting mind manifests. This is how you can bring wisdom to it and learn another way. It's really exciting that way. So having the courage 
and being willing to learn and listen, then instead of fearing the unknown, it becomes an adventure. You know, fear is, is always bringing you into, not always, sometimes it can be a signal for real danger that you have to pay attention to. But a lot of the times, as Jack Kornfield says, fear is just saying, about to grow. It's moving you into new territory. Oh, how exciting. I'm learning something new here. And in that, our whole practice becomes a, an experiment in trust, in learning that we can let life support us and let the practice support us. The analogy that, that I have in this more and more developing trust is um, learning to swim. You know, when you first learn how to swim and somebody puts you in a pool and you're bobbing up and down and they say, just relax, and you say, relax, I'm going down here, you know. <laughs> going up and down, just relax. And after a while, you kind of get the idea of treading water. Oh, this is, this is much better. Oh, this is good. And then there's that magical moment where you stop all effort and you learn how to float and realize, oh, the water was ready to hold me up all the time. I just needed to allow it. And in the same way, the Dharma is here for you in every moment. That's what taking refuge in the Dharma is. In every moment, life is giving you what you need to show up and if you stop trying to figure it out and just keep on showing up in each moment, then you see, actually, it's been here all the time, ready to support you. Einstein says, perhaps the most important question a human being can ask oneself is, is the universe friendly or not? Because once we see that the Dharma can support us and we can feel that, um, feel that support, then it all becomes an adventure. I remember one time I was um, going into an interview with, with Joseph and it was like I was opening up to a whole new territory in practice. And I said, I don't know what I've been doing up till now, but this is like, a whole new ball game. It's a, it's a whole new universe. I'm, it's like I never practiced before. And Joseph said, uh, oh yeah, I know that feeling. I said, you do? He said, yeah, I get it every time I sit. You know? And I said, really? And then he leaned forward and he said, yeah, and you know what? It's like we're at the tip of the iceberg. We're at the tip of the iceberg. It's not like, oh gosh, I've got another 20 lifetimes to go be, before I get it. It's like, how exciting, how exciting. We just keep on showing up and the universe will support us. Life will support us. So I'll close with a, a poem about this choice from Dana Falls. The choice, is it faith or fear that rises to the fore, affirmation or negation at the very core and center of the self? Will it be light or dark within the heart today? The icy grip of fear that knots and sours, leaving me to cower in the shadows? There's another way, I know it surely as I know the scent of spring, the choice of faith and trust invites, invokes, calls forth from all creation both the blessing and the lesson of the day. Whether trust or fear, the choice is mine. Each moment, choosing, stepping through the door, trusting that the path beyond will surely lead me home. So let's sit for a moment.
Thanks for your attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.